I have one thing to say to you. Kiss my fat ass. Hello, fellow mourners of diet culture. It is I, Emily Lubin. Welcome back to R.I.P. Diets. I hope you guys all had a very lovely holiday season. I had a really good holiday season, but I'm nursing a massive holiday hangover. And I don't mean a literal hangover, but I don't know. Do you guys feel the way that I feel? Like once the holidays are over, I feel so incredibly exhausted for seemingly no reason. And it's really hard for me to get back into my routines if I had any to begin with. I oscillate between having routines and not having routines, but geez, I just feel hungover and I'm hoping that this feeling goes away soon so that I can start truly being productive, but so glad to be back with all of you. I had an interesting New Year's, so it was a very, very low-key New Year's Eve. I went to my friend's house in Vermont and she has two young children, so it was, like I said, so low-key. Um... And we didn't stay up till midnight on New Year's Eve, which I don't even care about staying up till midnight on New Year's Eve. It just, it feels a little lackluster for the past couple of years when the clock strikes midnight. I'm just like, all right, you know, it, it doesn't feel as exciting as it used to. And, and maybe that's just because I'm not on drugs and I'm not drunk. Who knows? So when I went to Vermont, And this is a little bit of food news, but also just food thoughts. It's the spinoff of food news. On the way up to Vermont, we had to stop and get something. And I think I've said before, really, the only time that I eat fast food is on a road trip because it's the easiest, most convenient thing. You hit up the drive through and it's like a fun treat that you all can enjoy in the car and I mean fast food is meant to be eaten in your car am I right I feel like that's a universal experience but maybe I'm wrong and so we're pulling up to the McDonald's and my friend says to me do you know that they have an adult happy meal now and I did not know this but my ears perked right up because I and I didn't even really get happy meals when I was younger we didn't go to McDonald's that much I mean my brother loved McDonald's and we definitely ate it sometimes but I don't know it that's not like a staple thing from my childhood that I remember was getting happy meals but the idea of getting an adult happy meal was so exciting to me so this is what it is it's a limited time special meal box that I guess they do this from time to time but I'm not really clued in enough to know this DJ Kerwin Frost has a partnership with McDonald's. Now, did I know who that was prior to this? No. Do I know who that is now? No, not really. But apparently he spearheaded this whole adult Happy Meal thing, so I'm very grateful to him for that. But this is what the Kerwin Frost adult Happy Meal comes with at McDonald's, if you're thinking about getting it. They either come with a Big Mac or a 10-piece McNuggets, and then they also come with the fries and a soft drink of your choice. And on top of that, they also come with toys, okay, which is the most exciting part of the Happy Meal. They come with these super cute little nugget characters. They all have different names and they all have different clothes and they can be taken apart. They kind of remind me of a Mr. Potato Head type toy. So you get one of those. 
And we're in the car. I have my adult Happy Meal. I got the 10-piece nuggets. If I'm being honest, Big Macs don't look good to me at all. I don't need that extra piece of bun in the middle of my burger. And also the patties don't look that good to me. I think if you go to McDonald's and you want to get a burger, you get the quarter pounder with cheese. That's what you get. You don't get the Big Mac. I really don't get the appeal. But anyway, so I opted for the 10 piece nuggets and I'm eating my nuggets in the car. And I thought, wow, this is so fun. This evokes so much nostalgia. I I mean, I couldn't have been happier. But then I started to think about I never get McDonald's and it's not that I'm against fast food. I mean, I don't eat it that often, but I'm much more likely to go to a Popeye's. Popeye's is so good. Or um, a Shake Shack or what are my other favorites? I mean, Chipotle, but that's not really the same as fast food. McDonald's is pretty low on the list. I would say Burger King is below it. Who even goes to Burger King? I mean, come on. But I do kind of have this irrational distaste for McDonald's. And really, it's not that bad. A lot of the stuff is pretty good. I don't want to call it a fear, but I have like this irrational aversion for McDonald's. And I was trying to think, where does that come from? And then suddenly it came to me in a flash. It came to me like a core memory resurfaced. Did you guys see the documentary Supersize Me? It came out in 2004. It was directed by and starring Morgan Spurlock, who is a documentarian. He's made other documentaries, but by far his most notable and most successful documentary was Supersize Me. And in Supersize Me, he underwent a 30-day experiment of sorts to see if and how eating nothing but McDonald's for 30 days would impact his health. And I remember going to see this. I actually saw this in theaters with my dad. And if this was 2004, then I would have been 14. So I was 14 years old. I went to see it in the theater with my dad. And I remember my dad talking about this movie. And my dad's, you know, he has some unsavory attitudes toward food and he's really I mean over the past I would say 10 years I've had to really limit my discussions about food with him because I do find them a little bit triggering Um, he's just always talking about you know what foods are bad for you and what they're going to do to you and he'll say these things as you are eating which is really off-putting but he has an extreme distaste for fast food. And I think on the way to going to see this movie, he had seen the trailer and he was telling me about it. And he said, quote, this man, meaning Morgan Spurlock, this man was the picture of health before he went on this 30 day McDonald's binge. And it just turned him into such an unhealthy person. And I'm really excited for you to see how it happened. I like, I'm trying to think, did he see the movie before me? I I know that I went to see it with him, but I think maybe he had read up on it and he had certainly seen the trailer and he had been consuming stuff about this movie. So he knew more about it than I did. Um, When that movie came out, if you recall, if you were there, 
it was a crazy time to be alive because this documentary really made waves. And I remember the reaction to the documentary was like a little bit strange looking back because the way people reacted was like a man ate nothing but McDonald's for 30 days and he put on weight. What? It like kind of seems like a no brainer because and we'll get into it. But not only did he go on a 30 day McDonald's binge, he was eating three meals a day from McDonald's. But he had all these rules associated with this McDonald's binge that he was about to go on. So he had to try everything on the menu. That was one of the rules. So like over the 30 days, he could repeat meals, but he had to at least once try everything on the menu, even if it didn't appeal to him. So that was one thing. And then the other part of it was that if he was asked if he wanted to supersize his meal, now, obviously, they don't have supersize anymore, but at the time they did. So if they tried to upsell him or ask him if he wanted a supersize meal, he had to say yes. And I don't think he explicitly says this in the documentary, but I think he had to eat all of it because you never saw him not finish a meal. So quite frequently, you would see him in this movie eating past the point of fullness And there is a very memorable scene. I mean, I remembered it. This was 20 years ago that this movie came out. And I remembered his first meal at McDonald's. He got a double quarter pounder with cheese and a supersized fries and a supersized soda. And he ends up vomiting. He leans out the window of his car and he vomits all over the concrete. And that was such a memorable scene for me, that image of him throwing up. They show it, too. They show what it looks like. It's so grotesque. And he was eating definitely past the point of fullness and was visibly uncomfortable while eating because this was a supersized meal. It was a lot of food. So anyway, I rewatched this documentary last night. I had not seen it since 2004 when it came out. And it was a very different experience for me watching this documentary for the second time after so long in between. I had a very different takeaway from it than I did back then. When I saw that movie in the theater, I I remember walking out of it. I was horrified. And just for context, in case you don't know, I was a fat child. And at 14 years old, I was certainly a fat girl. I was in the overweight category, if not obese, which BMI is bullshit and I don't like the system. I'm going to reiterate that. I do not like or care for the BMI system for various reasons, but I definitely fell into that category of um, overweight bordering on obese. I felt so horrible. I remember walking out of that theater. I remember, you know, thinking, and like I said, I I mean, I didn't eat a lot of fast food back then, but I remember thinking, you know, the, the takeaway from that movie is that you need to make healthier choices. Your choices are making you fat. And it felt very intentional for my dad to take me to that movie at the time to try to teach me a lesson about why I was fat and why that was a death sentence, essentially. This rewatch that I just did It's so fresh because I just watched it last night. My takeaway is completely different. And let me give you a little breakdown. So he opens this movie 
with this little speech, this little monologue. Everything's bigger in America. We've got the biggest cars, the biggest houses, the biggest companies, the biggest food, and finally, the biggest people. America has now become the fattest nation in the world. Congratulations. Nearly 100 million Americans are either overweight or obese. That's more than 60% of all U.S. adults. Since 1980, the total number of overweight and obese Americans has doubled, with twice as many overweight children and three times as many overweight adolescents. The fattest state in America, Mississippi, where one in four people are obese. I grew up in West Virginia, currently the third fattest state in America. When I was growing up, my mother cooked dinner every single day. Almost all of my memories of her are in the kitchen, and we never ate out, only on those few rare special occasions. Today, families do it all the time, and they're paying for it, not only with their wallets, but also with their waistlines. Okay, so I wanted to break this down just a little bit. These statistics, at least back in 2004, these are accurate statistics. We do know that the number of overweight people in this country has been climbing since mid-century. And, you know, I'm not going to go into my theory about the reasons for that. But we also should just take note of the fact that dieting was not a thing back in the 50s, 60s, 70s, the way that it is now. The dieting boom really happened in the 80s and 90s. So while you can attribute more overweight people and poorer health in general to fast food companies and eating out, like he's saying, You also could make the correlation that people weren't dieting as much when our grandparents were in their 20s. It wasn't really a thing. And I think it's pretty hard to ignore that statistic as well, that we're becoming very out of touch with what we actually want to be eating. We're trying to force feed ourselves these particular diets from these special diet plans that end up not working and then we double down in the other direction and completely give up and and start binging. So I think that is as much of a prevalent issue as the amount of McDonald's in our country, for example. But I digress. I also wanted to note that, oh, when he says he grew up in West Virginia, I was just, I had to take a moment. And I don't know if you guys can relate to this, but West Virginia is one of those places that I just, I forget that it exists. And I forget that people are from there and that people are from there and then leave there. When I think of West Virginia, I think of that MTV show. Um, Oh my God, what was it called? Buck Wild. Did anybody else see this show? It was insane. It followed teenagers around who lived in West Virginia and they were they just lived completely different lives from what I grew up doing. They would go out mudding like in ATVs and they would go out into the woods and like do really dangerous stuff with their ATVs. And then I remember there was one episode they built a water slide that went off of one of their roofs and then it went into an in-ground pool. Oh, wait, it wasn't an in-ground pool. It was actually a truck, like a flatbed truck that they filled with water. So they were doing these crazy stunts, so unsafe, like 
essentially a slip and slide off of the roof and into this giant dump truck. So insane. And there was one kid in that show that lived in a neighborhood that he called the holler or like that's what the people in the neighborhood would call it. And the reason why they called it the holler was because nobody even had phones. Whenever they wanted to get in touch with someone, they would holler like, hey, Frank, are you around? And that's how they would communicate. I mean, it was really insane. I think that was in the 2010s, like 2012, 2013, that that show happened. And I was like, oh, my God, these kids are growing up like they, they're in 1960. It's insane. But um, anyway, I digress. So he grew up in West Virginia. And I just I find it interesting that he frames this in a way that is positive. He says, when I was growing up, my mother cooked dinner every single day. Almost all of my memories of her are in the kitchen. Wow. Sounds great for your mom. <laughs> I I just, uh, listen, I have absolutely nothing against home-cooked meals. Absolutely nothing against. I, is it a healthier way to live to eat most of your meals at home? Absolutely. I think there's no arguing that. But the world has also changed for women, and women are in the workforce now more than they were before out of necessity and out of just having more rights and having more equality. So I, I think it it says a lot that most of his memories of his mother are in the kitchen. That woman basically lived in the kitchen. That was her full-time job was cooking you meals. So yeah, we don't live in that world anymore. But is that necessarily a bad thing? I don't know. He seems to think that it is. And then the final line Today, families eat out all the time and they're paying for it, not only with their wallets, but also with their waistlines. And then when he says this, it's accompanied by very fat phobic images, lots of images of fat people with their heads cut off and zooming into certain body parts like men with big bellies, they'll zoom into the big belly or women with big butts and thighs. They'll zoom into the butt and thighs. These images I found really, really dehumanizing. And they were very carefully inserted into these choice lines, like not only with their wallets, but also with their waistlines. Zoom into a beer belly. You know, I found it a little grotesque, um, the way that it was edited and put together. So, I'm going to give you the Reader's Digest version of this documentary. He goes on this 30-day experiment. And right off the bat, we learn that his live-in girlfriend is a vegan chef. I didn't know this at the time, and I don't think anybody knew at the time. But we've gotten more information about the way that Morgan Spurlock was living prior to this experiment. In the past 20 years, we've learned more context, if you will. So his girlfriend at the time was a vegan chef. And Morgan, prior to this experiment, was mostly on a vegan diet. So he was not used to eating fast food. He was also not used to eating a lot of meat or, you know, really any meat at all. And not a lot of cheese, not a lot of dairy. His diet prior to the McDonald's experiment was most likely very low fat. And then suddenly he went into eating a lot of saturated fats um, because that's what is available on the menu at McDonald's. Another thing that we've learned since this documentary came out, Morgan 
has since admitted that he was heavily drinking alcohol during the filming of this documentary, which he did not reveal in the documentary. And I do think it kind of changes things. Before going on the 30-day McDonald's challenge, he does meet with various doctors. He meets with a primary care physician, a gastroenterologist, and a cardiologist, as well as a dietitian. But at one point, I can't remember which doctor it was, they asked, do you drink? And he says, right now, no. So that was not factual. Um, He came out later and said, not only was he drinking, he was actually drinking a whole lot and had suffered from alcohol abuse in the past. I believe he identifies as a former alcoholic. So, you know, just keep that in mind. So throughout the documentary, he does check in with the doctors. I think he does it every week. And they are seemingly shocked at what is happening to him. His cholesterol is going up. His heart rate is going up. um, He's gaining weight. And his liver, they're noticing fatty deposits in his liver that were not there before. Now, knowing what we know now, I will say that heavily drinking alcohol, that can affect your liver as well. But he didn't tell them that he was drinking alcohol. So we just, we need to keep that in mind. I'm not saying that the reason was the alcohol or the reason wasn't the fast food. I'm not saying, I'm not making any claims. I just think it is of note that A lot of people who saw this documentary, much like my father, said, this guy's the picture of health. He's perfect. He's the perfect weight for his height. He has the perfect blood pressure, perfect heart rate. He's not a drinker. He's not a smoker. He doesn't do drugs. Well, that's not entirely true. So at the end of the documentary, he summarizes his findings. And he says, and I quote, In only 30 days of eating nothing but McDonald's, I gained 24 and a half pounds. My liver turned to fat. By the way, it didn't turn to fat. He just, he had fatty deposits in his liver. And my cholesterol shot up 65 points. My body fat percentage went from 11 to 18%, still below the national average of 22% for men and 30% for women. I nearly doubled my risk of coronary heart disease, making myself twice as likely to have heart failure. I felt depressed and exhausted most of the time. My mood swung on a dime and my sex life was non-existent. I craved this food more and more when I ate it and got massive headaches when I didn't. So a few things and, and like my takeaways from this, right? It is not surprising in retrospect that 30 days of eating nothing but McDonald's when prior to that you had been on a mostly vegan diet, okay? Now suddenly for 30 days, not only are you eating nothing but McDonald's, but you are getting the supersize option whenever they offer it to you and you have to finish it all and you have to try everything on the menu whether or not it even appeals to you. This experiment kind of leaves me on the second viewing, a little bit dumbfounded, a little bit like, huh? Because, and I will also say, he says at the end of this documentary, you're probably thinking, who would do this? Who would only eat McDonald's for 30 days in a row? But there are people who do eat it frequently and their health is at risk. So that's his conclusion is that 
While this is an extreme version of what many people do, there are many people who eat McDonald's frequently, multiple times a week, and their health is at risk. And it is the fault of this corporation. And by extension, all fast food corporations, I think, is the basic thesis of the documentary. Now, I would have agreed with that back in 2004 when I saw it originally. But now on the second viewing, I'm kind of like, well... This all seems like a big duh. You know, this all seems like let's do the most extreme thing and then present these extreme results like they apply to most people. And I just don't think they do. I think eating fast food, I mean, you can definitely eat fast food and still have an overall healthy diet. But if you're only eating fast food and you're not eating any vegetables. I mean, I don't think he ate a single vegetable this whole time, except for maybe the one day when he tried the little salad shaker thing. He's not getting any fiber. He's not getting a lot of variety in his nutrients. It's a very limited diet, and it's a diet that's very high in saturated fat and not much else. So obviously, you're not going to feel great, and that's going to have a severe negative impact on your health because of the lack of variety, because you're not getting all the nutrients you need. And he was severely lacking in his tests in in many nutrients and many vitamins. That's because you simply can't get all of your nutrition from fast food. Obviously, that wouldn't work. And I think a lot of people walked away from that documentary being like, okay, well, I can never eat McDonald's. It's terrible for you. And I'm not here advocating for McDonald's saying it is healthy for you. I think we all know that this is not very nutritious food. It's just not. But the thing is, you can eat it sometimes and still be an overall healthy person. And I think this documentary, but also similar media that we were consuming at the time, made some of us irrationally afraid of fast food. And it really demonized this corporation in particular, but also fast food in general. And it really stayed with me. I really think that's what did it because McDonald's, I always have viewed as like, I do not want to go there. Like I'll eat Shake Shack any day of the week, but McDonald's, it's got to be on a road trip. It's got to be in a situation where that's the only option. And I live in New York. There's so many good food options. So it's like, it's not that surprising why I don't want to eat McDonald's frequently or, you know, hardly at all. But what I'm saying is this skewed media, this media that's like, you're fat because you eat McDonald's made me irrationally afraid of fast food when really it's not something to be afraid of. And if you're eating it in moderation, and when I say moderation, I mean when you're eating it when you actually crave it, which for him is not very much at all. I mean, you can tell that Morgan's not happy eating this food. It's not really what he's craving. He's essentially force feeding himself for 30 days and seeing how fat he'll get by consuming so much McDonald's. Also, knowing that he was heavily drinking at the time, heavily drinking 
really inhibits your ability to tune into what you actually crave because alcohol spikes your blood sugar and then you crash and you will crave food that you might not normally crave. So I do think that his cravings, while they probably were due in part to eating a lot of McDonald's and then he would start craving it more, the drinking couldn't have not impacted him at all. It had to have something to do with it. It had to have something to do with him feeling depressed, having mood swings, being lethargic, and craving, for lack of a better word, shitty food. I would not be surprised if it was a factor. Also, him heavily drinking during this documentary changes some things for me. In my eyes, it completely changes the whole scene where he vomits up the double quarter pounder because... He could have been hungover or he could have been sick to his stomach from alcohol and not just the food. You know what I mean? I do think he was eating past the point of satiety because he did supersize that meal. But it definitely changes it. It definitely changes it. Because when I originally saw it, I was like, oh, my God, he's throwing up because this food is toxic. And it's it's bad for you. But he has to eat it because that's what he agreed to do. So case in point, this is disgusting food. But the fact that he was drinking, I just keep going back to that. I'm like, how, why did you lie to the doctor? Why'd you lie, Morgan? Why did you say that you didn't drink? That's a huge hole in the research for me. That is a huge hole in it. Yeah, so this is all to say, my main takeaway on this rewatch was we should stop demonizing certain foods. I mean, this is a very complex situation. I know that There's accessibility issues that come into play that he did not touch on in this documentary. There are some people that they might only have $5 to spend on their day's worth of meals and McDonald's is going to be one of them. And that's just, you know, we're going to go order off the dollar menu, even though I know the dollar menu has changed. And But anyway, I digress. That's a huge issue, the accessibility and people living in food deserts where they might only have the option of getting fast food on a given day. He didn't really touch on that in the documentary. But for the average person, I would say there's really no point to demonize these foods because if you're listening to your body, there's no way that you're going to want to eat McDonald's three times in a day and supersize those meals. It's just not happening. And this is not to say that I will be getting McDonald's more, but it was just like this long train of thought that eventually brought me back to the point where it's like, oh, I can enjoy these foods. And the more freedom that you feel around all foods, and I really mean all foods, the less crazy you're going to feel when you go into a McDonald's where it's like, ooh, this is the forbidden fruit. This is something I'm not supposed to be eating because if you really do allow yourself to eat it, I really, truly don't think you will crave it every single day. I don't even think you would crave it every week. I think you would crave it once in a while because it scratches a certain itch and then you'll end up getting variety in your diet and you'll be able to process it. Our, Our bodies are very adaptable. So Keep in mind, I'm not a doctor. I'm just the average viewer, but this documentary is so batshit. Um, and I would encourage you to rewatch this documentary as long as it doesn't trigger you and let me know your thoughts. I mean, it's just, it really speaks to the way that we 
perceived food and fatness back then, back in 2004. I don't think it's gotten much better, but I do think it's gotten a little bit better. And we can see these things with a little more nuance than we could at the time. So anyway, that was my rewatch. And God, you know, talking about this is actually making me hungry and I need to go make myself lunch. But in the meantime, send me your advice questions. You can DM me at Lubination or the Instagram for the podcast is RIP Diets. Or you can email me at ripdiets at gmail.com. I appreciate hearing from you no matter what it is. If it's feedback, if it's an advice question, thoughts on your own food and body image journey. I mean, I love it all. I truly do. So slide in. And until next time, peace, love, RIP Diets. (laughs) 